It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for being here with us and for listening. Buiti Benafi, bienvenidos to all the bitches. And thank you. Now, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes. No. Threw myself off with all those facts. But there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color. And Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. Now, we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. The news is racist. (laughs) The news is racist. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Amen. (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It's not her fault. And welcome to the Fruit Loops Rainbow Coalition. (laughs) (laughs) And we're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Yes, and also our website is fruitloopspod.com. We use Fruit Loops Pod on all the social media and the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, you can check that out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Patreon. And you can also support us by supporting our sponsors. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, today we're talking about Joseph Robert Condro, a.k.a. the Longview serial killer. Be forewarned, this perp's victims were children oh. and the crimes were horrific. So if that's triggering for you, maybe skip this one. It's OK. We'll be. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. We'll see you on the next one. Yeah. Um. But uh, before we get into it. How you doing? I'm doing all right. We had our video club meeting this past Sunday. We did. Yeah, we talked about the tales of the Grim Sleeper. Um, oh, and yes. it was really interesting and fun. Really enjoyed that. Yes. 
Yeah, I had a blast. I also really enjoyed um, doing impressions of all the people in the documentary. It was kind of my favorite part. Uh, And you did a good job. Well, thank you. (laughs) The Grim Sleeper from Los Angeles is to have been. Uh, Anyway, so check that out if you are a Patreon or become a Patreon so you can check out um, the audio. Yeah, come to the the next one. Come on over. Yeah, we usually do them every um, last Sunday, I think, of the month. Yeah, that's been the the pattern. Yeah, Yeah, that's been the pattern. So join us. Join us. Come, come one, come all. Um, it was super fun. Cannot wait till the next one. Um, and now Halloween is over, y'all. So it's time to get ready for Indigenous Peoples Day, yeah. aka Thanksgiving. And uh, I invited a bunch of people, but I, I told them to in my invitation keep their expectations very low. So happy <laughs> holidays, everyone. Now it's time for listener letters. Hello, angels. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, what's in that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Paige. Oh, hey, Paige. Yeah. And uh, we got some usernames that I'm going to try to read out. Uh, not okay. really sure, but Chic Mama Ined. In the house. In the house. Oh. Or Chic Mama Main DH. But I like in the house better. I don't know. Chic Mama in the house, maybe. In the I don't house. Know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And Ace Laser Razor. Ace Laser Razor. Okay. Yeah. We'll thank you. you. The three yes, of you thank for your you. five star reviews. Yay. <laughs> Keep those reviews coming. They really do help. And plus you get to hear me try to read out your usernames, which is right. ridiculous. There's celebrities <laughs> now. <laughs> and thank you also, Michael, for your email oh. about voter turnout in Texas. Yes, yes. That that was so um, reassuring and re-energizing. I voted yesterday, early okay. voting. Did, have you voted already? You mailed in your No, ballot? I think I'm going to drop mine off mm-hmm. on election day because I wanted to go through all of the judges and I'm not oh, finished yeah. yet. So yeah. I yeah. kind of bit off more than I could chew uh, and I started too late. So, oh, but I yeah, want to be thorough. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad to hear you say that because sometimes you do, uh, judges are elected and when they're on the ballot, it's a lot of them yeah. and you have to do your research because you never know when you could be in front of one of those people. Yeah. Um, and it's and just, some of them uh, are yeah. awful. A- exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some of them There's are fucking in terrible. particular in Arizona that is awful. So, well, you know, I heard an interesting segment on a comedy show on Comedy Central the other day and they were like, should we get rid of Arizona or get rid of Florida? And a lot of people voted to get rid of Arizona. Yeah, we got a lot of nutbags. I mean, yeah. Paul Gosar. Yeah. I mean, oh my god, he's the worst. Oh. Yeah, well, it's not that much better in Georgia. There's this crazy ad going around right now. They're saying, when did racism against white people become okay? Oh, We geez. can't let this oh stand. Oh no more God. Joe Byron and Kamala Harris. Don't let whites finish last or something like that. And oh it's a God. real political ad. Oh, my a God. A real ad that people are belie- watching and wow. believing. So 
y'all get out there. Um, so I, I was so happy to see Michael's email when he replied and he, he, he's ready. He and his peoples are ready. Yeah. So, and he says there's something really exciting going on in Texas. So we won't know what happens by the time this airs, we'll know what happens. We'll know. Yeah. So we're praying. We might might be crying, but, (laughs) but I am, I am happy about Everybody I know is voting, right? Yeah. And everybody I know has a plan. Yeah. Because um, you can't complain if you don't vote. So, hey. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, also, we have two new Patreons. All right. And uh, we wanted to thank you Patreons who joined us on our video club. Yeah. Come back for more. Yes, please do. Yeah. We got Isaac J and Tina B. So here are your tunes. Hip Hop Air Horns now. Um, because, again, forgetful bitch here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And as I said on my Thanksgiving invites, keep your expectations very low. (laughs) Okay. I woke up this morning feeling thankful. All the dreams that I've been dreaming don't finally come through. Thanks, Isaac J. Thanks, Isaac J. Thanks, Isaac J. Um, And uh, that's a throwback from when uh, Barack Obama was running for president for the first time. Uh, And then Tina B, this is for you. And I say, don't fact check me. And when we pod and have some fun, like whatever, Tina B, Tina B, <laughs> Tina B, yeah. <laughs> and those are for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for supporting our show. So now we're going to take a quick ad break and get to the story when we come back. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. What a break. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject again? Today we're talking about Joseph Robert Condro, a.k.a. the Longview serial killer. 
He confessed to the rape and murder of a 12-year-old girl in 1996 and the unsolved murder of an 8-year-old girl in 1985. Condro was a close friend of both girls' families. He was also a prime suspect in the 1982 strangulation murder of another eight-year-old girl. And mm. I got most of my information from John Douglas's book, The Killer Across the Table. Oh, and were you snuggling with it? Yes, I snuggled with John <laughs> Douglas. Hello, FBI Bay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's always this discussion about why people are fascinated with true crime. And in yeah. his book, John Douglas says, quote, the fascination with true crime is actually fascination with what writers and philosophers call the human condition. We all want to know and understand the basis of human behavior mm. and motivation, why we do the things we do. And with crime, we are seeing mm -hmm. the human condition writ large and at the extremes, both for the perpetrator and for the victim, unquote. So I thought that was an interesting. Wow. Yeah. John Douglas does it again. Yeah. Uh, that is that's that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yep. Uh, hard agree. He, he John Douglas. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Uh, I'm going to have to save that quote in my pocket the next time we get asked that question. Yeah. Well, John Douglas says. Well, yes. <laughs> um, so now we're going to get into some stats. I um, I this one is an uncomfortable one. Yeah. And. Uh, I wish that there was a more like he, he, so his AKA is the Longview serial killer, but mm -hmm. I just I, I wish the name was like Satan or son of Satan, like because he's so what he did was so bad. I know. I so just some of, spit out my teeth. I'm sorry. <laughs> son of Satan from Longview. I don't know. Joseph uh, Robert so, Contro, a.k.a. Satan. A.k.a. Yes, I just made that one up. I tend to hand out a.k.a.s when they when I think when they deserved and I feel like that yeah. one's appropriate. Let me know if it sticks. So some of his victims were his friends' children. Yeah. Um. He had two known victims, but is suspected of many more. And just rest in power to these young, these young queens, these babies, really. Yeah. Eight-year-old Rima Traxler and 12-year-old Kara Rudd. They had families and communities that loved them. And so we, uh, our, our thoughts um, are, and hearts are with their, their families and, and community. Uh, he's the suspect in the murder of eight-year-old Chyla Silvernails. And the crimes took place in Longview, Washington, he was a Chippewa man, an indigenous man who was adopted by white people, which um, I think is a significant part of the story. Yeah. Um, and he died in 2012. Yep. So let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Longview, Washington, located in Cowlitz County, southwestern Washington, at the junction of the Cowlitz and Columbia Rivers, 50 miles north of Portland, Oregon, and about 70 miles from the Pacific Ocean. So it's inland. So the Cowlitz Indian tribe is located in Longview. Although ethnically unified as a tribal unit by geography, intermarriage, and customs, the Cowlitz people are divided into two main groups, the Tidenapam, or Upper Cowlitz, and the Lower Cowlitz. Both the Lower and Upper Cowlitz use the rivers and trails for trading and visiting other tribes. An important means of transportation was their blunt-nosed canoe, designed to go over rapids. That's pretty mm, cool. Yeah. In addition to 
trading, the Cowlitz exchanged goods through gambling, horse racing, and large gatherings. So like uh, fairs Mm -hmm. or powwows. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that they already had customs and systems in place running their society and they were just fine? Weird. So then what happens next? Oh, (laughs) so the earliest historical accounts of the lower Cowlitz are from the Pacific Fur Company, who arrived in 1811. Simon Plandon, he's a young French Canadian working from the Northwest Company, traveled up the Cowlitz River and was captured by Chief Shanewa, whose village was on Cowlitz Prairie. Plamondon married the chief's daughter, Veronica, and I can only imagine that he named her Veronica or the white people called her Veronica. Yeah, yeah. I, have a hard, I am hard 100% time. sure that was not her name. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, they called her Veronica, and uh, she gave birth to four children. It's from this family that many of the Cowlitz today trace their lineage. Mm. The Hudson's Bay Company merged with the Northwest Company, which gave them the opportunity to trade with Chief Shanawa, who controlled fur traffic through the Cowlitz Corridor. In 1853, the area became part of the territory of Washington, named after, you know, the president who owned a bunch of slaves. Anyway, in 1855, during a treaty session with Governor Isaac Stevens, the Cowlitz declined to sign away their rights. Yes. They remained on their land, but had no reservation of their own. And why would they? Because they already had their own land and houses and society. Fuck off. So when war erupted in 1855 between the Native Americans and the white people, Chief Atwin Sokam, son of Chief Shanewa, was led to believe the Cowlitz tribe would be given a reservation if the Cowlitz warriors remained peaceful. So instead of joining the Yakamas and Klickitats in war, the 300 Cowlitz people were held in a detention camp on the Cowlitz Prairie under the Indian agent or overseer Simon Plamondon's care. And Mm. if you remember, he's married to the chief's daughter. Wow. So ultimately he chose his whiteness over Over, being a good person. Yeah. Yeah. The indigenous Cowlitz men were conscripted into building blockhouses and roads, transporting supplies and scouting, essentially slave labor. After the fighting was over, when the Cowlitz people returned to their homes, they found that their possessions had been destroyed. The promise made by Chief Atwin Stockham of a Cowlitz reservation in return for cooperation was apparently forgotten. Surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. No, not surprised. Not surprised. You know, um, now we're talking about elections and stuff. And um, Black people and Indigenous people, uh, when we vote, we, we have to know white people so well. Right. And we know that white people will um, vote against policies that help them if they think that it will help black or indigenous people of color. So there's this sort of and, and I imagine this for indigenous people as well to be true. They've already showed you who they are right. so many times. And this is just an, another example of them showing showing us who they are. And we have to believe that white supremacy is dangerous. So, yeah. Yeah. That's all. So white settlers assumed that at the war's end, that meant that all Native Americans had lost their rights and their land. What? And in the decades following the war, the Cowlitz were pressured by settlers to assimilate to whiteness. Some married and moved to reservations, the Quinault, Stylacum, Skokomish, Snohomish, and Warm Springs, among others. But many did remain. 
Macallits were described in 1870 by the Secretary of Interior as, quote, the most thrifty and industrious, unquote, of the tribes he reported on. Yet that very success was the reason later given by the government to deny them recognition and compensation for their lands that were taken. Theft? That's a crime. So uh, which is it? Just say you don't like indigenous people and you want to take their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. When the Indian Homestead Act passed in 1884, a number of upper and lower Cowlitz took out papers for homesteads. Many found jobs, the women doing house cleaning and laundry, the men working on farms and log drives and in the woods and sawmills. Most continued using traditional skills, making baskets, picking berries, hunting, trapping and fishing. Washington achieved statehood in 1889. On the east side of Washington state is Walla Walla, famous for its onions and its prison. In uh, 1886, while Washington was lobbying for statehood, a local businessman donated a bunch of acres of land to the city that wasn't his to begin with uh, to serve as the site of the new prison. Legislators approved the site, and in 1887, the state began transferring prisoners to Washington Territorial Prison from Satco Prison, a privately owned facility that was eventually shut down for its terrible living conditions. I had no idea that Walla Walla Prison was so old. I didn't either, but it does make you think about the whole prison industrial complex yeah. because they employ so many people. Right, right. Um, so you either grow onions or uh, Work at the are prison, prison board. Yeah. 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 When Washington became a state, the facility officially became the Washington State Penitentiary, but inmates nicknamed it the Hill, the Joint, the walls, and the pen. Convenient how the prison was erected after the Emancipation Proclamation was issued. Prison towns like Walla Walla employ many people Mm -hmm. within the prison industrial complex. One man's crime and punishment is another man's pension. Hello, America. (laughs) So in uh, 1912, the Cowlitz tribe began an organized push to become federally recognized and compensated. When their bill finally passed both houses of Congress in 1928, it was vetoed by President Coolidge Mm. because they had become successful farmers and, quote, formed no distinct class, unquote. Oh, so we're just invisible because they lived among the white people, were voting citizens and were, quote, industrious, self-supporting and reasonably intelligent. Wow. The racism in that statement is pretty obvious to me. Um, So they assimilated like they were pressured to do, and they used that assimilation against them to deny them a reservation. They still weren't white enough to have access as citizens or even human beings. So that's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, It's shame. Shame on us. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Not good. Yeah. After a long legal battle, the federal government finally recognized the tribe in the year 2000. Are you kidding me? Nope. Wow. Today, though the Cowlitz are scattered, many still remain. They maintain kinship networks and meet semi-annually on the Cowlitz Prairie to learn more about their own heritage. The Cowlitz powwow is one of the largest in southern Washington. That is so cool. Yeah. Longview, Washington was founded in 1923 by R.A. 
Long of the Longbell Lumber Company. Longbell planned to build two mills at the site, and it soon became apparent that upwards of 14,000 workers would be needed. The nearest center of population, Kelso, had less than 2,000 residents. So Long planned the city as a community to provide labor for his mills. Yay! Frederick Weyerhauser also opened a mill adjacent to the Long Bell operation, encompassing Mount Coffin. Mount Coffin was a promontory that served as a native burial grounds at the Mm. merging point of the Columbia and Cowlitz Rivers. It had been formed by sediment carried by the rivers and consisted mainly of sediment from volcanic rock. So in 1835, Quaker John Kirk Townsend, a naturalist and ornithologist, wrote, quote, The burial site consisted of a great number of canoes containing bodies of Indians, each being carefully wrapped in blankets and supplied with many of his personal effects in the form of weapons and implements, unquote. There are multiple accounts of white people taking bones and stripping valuables from bodies on Mount Coffin. And in August 1841, Lieutenant Charles Wilkes traveled down the river as part of the U.S. exploring expedition, and he used Mount Coffin to make astronomical observations. One of Wilkes' campfires accidentally set fire to and destroyed the burial canoes on the rock. Oh, wow. And then in 1929, Mount Coffin was leveled for its gravel during the construction of the Port of Longview. Well, I hope all of them are haunted. Yes. Don't they know anything? I know. All those ancestors (laughs) need to just, I hope all the ghosts who have not been able to rest as a result of this fuckery are just haunting the shit out of these men who did this and, uh, are not able to sleep at night or we're not able to sleep at night. Cause that is so that's um, pretty fucked up. Gross. Yeah. Can you, um, and, and it only, I don't know it, in my mind, I don't, I don't see this happening to like a cemetery with white people. No, no, it doesn't people, happen. People lose their fucking shit. Exactly. If it doesn't just happen. like dug up a, a graveyard and like threw the, the dirt and the bodies and everything yeah. to the side uh, because yeah. they wanted to use it for something, you know? Yeah. People yeah. And, and lose for, their shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, it just, uh, I was listening to, sorry, a little tangent. The latest episode of Spooked was about a man who found a burial ground in his home, his backyard in Tucson. Oh, wow. And um, I guess the cemetery moved and notified all the families, but the notification was only in English. So indigenous people who did not read English and um, Latinx people who did not read English did not uh, receive and understand the notice yes yeah. and so those were the bones of the people oh my God. Of, of the BIPOC people wow. essentially um and again this wouldn't have this just wouldn't be acceptable for for white for people. white people and so it shouldn't yeah. be accept for acceptable anybody for any people yeah yes any human. So yeah. Long's two sawmills were dismantled in 1960, but Weyerhaeuser continued pulp and paperboard manufacturing. In 1964, a federal lawsuit was filed against Weyerhaeuser in Longview, Washington, for, quote, discharge of refuse into navigable waterways, unquote. 
1979, the United States General Accounting Office listed the Weyerhaeuser Company in Longview as a potential Superfund site caused by metal contamination. The Superfund program is designed to investigate and clean up sites contaminated with hazardous substances. So you start out with these indigenous communities who try to protect the environment, and this is Uh what you end up with. Just yeah, this kind of uh, pollution and fuckery. Yeah, and at, it, we're at the point now in 2022 w- where it is, uh, it's affecting all of us. Yeah, I think um, maybe the government and industry was thinking they're not going to know, they're not going to care. Gonna be it's fine. just, in, it's just in brown neighborhoods. It's yeah. just in black neighborhoods. That you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to. Um, a, a factory in my backyard, but no. look, this is just this is just what it is. But now that it's affecting everybody, everybody, including people white who people. are white, <laughs> yes, this is a, a a terrifying problem that Indigenous people have been warning the world about since this started. Yeah. So at the time of the 2020 census, Longview's population was about 38,000. It is approximately 83 percent white. 2% black and a little over 1% Native American. And there are more Asians in Longview than Native Americans at approximately 2%. Hmm. And uh, here's a fun fact. Longview oh. is home to the Nutty Narrows Bridge, built in 1963 by Amos Peters. For many years, it was the only bridge in the world designed and built strictly for squirrels. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the bridge's purpose was to avoid squirrel casualties on the busy streets underneath. Longview wow. began an annual festival known as Squirrel Fest in 2011. Squirrel Fest? Squirrel Fest. <laughs> Six bridges similar to the Nutty Narrows were constructed in the 2010s around Longview for use by squirrels. (laughs) Wow, that is really something. Way to go, Longview. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.
So now we're going to get into Condro's early life. What do you got for us, Beth? Joseph Condro was born May 19, 1959 in Marquette, Michigan, to a Native American woman from the Chippewa tribe who already had six children and didn't feel she could care for another. So she gave him up for adoption. At around the age of 18 months, he was adopted by John and Eleanor Condro, a white couple in Iron River, Michigan. They eventually moved to Castle Rock, Washington. Condro later said his parents considered adopting him a mistake, and he referred to Eleanor Condro as his quote-unquote stepmother. Per John Douglas, a number of the most notorious serial killers were adopted. Wow. These include Richard Ramirez, David Berkowitz, Kenneth Bianchi, Ted Bundy, and Joel Rifkin. Really? Yeah. He said, quote, while the vast majority of adopted children thrive with loving parents, I think if a young boy already has certain kinds of psychological issues or incipient antisocial personality disorder, the knowledge that he has been given up or rejected by his biological parents can fuel feelings of hostility, authority conflict, and negative behaviors. However, for these same reasons, this can be an easy excuse for a predator to quote unquote explain his motivations and actions, unquote. Wow. John Douglas does it again. However, I will say I feel like John Douglas has fallen short in his profiling with regard to um, race, how race yeah. might play into yeah. it. But we love you, John Douglas. It's okay. <laughs> you can come to Fruit Loops anytime. So, so per Condro, Around the age of seven, when he learned he was adopted, he started acting out. He carried a knife with him and hung out with a group of kids that tortured and killed small animals and pets they found in the neighborhood. As a larger than average kid, he became a bully. He said he, quote, either beat boys up or I take girls off and make them strip down for me. But pretty Whoa. soon I noticed that all the parents in the neighborhood wouldn't let me play with their kids anymore, unquote. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> Gee, there's a, a Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, oh. and her name, her, she always her name says G. <laughs> no, no, her name is uh, I don't know what her name is, but her husband is PK, and she always says G, G PK. So anyway, sorry, I love the word G. So at this point, the family moved to Longview, Washington, ostensibly for John's job, but possibly also because of all the trouble that Joe was getting into. In seventh grade, Condro said he started thinking about, quote, taking people out and raping and killing them, unquote. By eighth grade, he was <clears throat> doing drugs. So that's, that's really young to be thinking oh, about raping and God. killing people. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Is really and this young. is even like before the internet, right? And, oh, and, yeah. Uh, porn could totally fuck up your idea of sexuality and what sex should should be yeah um and so yeah that is that is messed um, up that's out there yeah yeah Joe later claimed that his adoptive parents were very controlling people. Quote, I remember telling my mom I didn't want to go to church anymore, and she made me do that. They would force me to do stuff, and they would yell amongst each other a lot, abusing each other mentally. They would always yell at each other, unquote. Uh, it sounds, sounds kind of normal to me. Wait, parents yelling at each other? The um, controlling 
I mean, oh, <laughs> like parents telling you what to do. What parents don't tell you what to do? <laughs> I, I'm just because Beth, I saw this in the script, and I couldn't wait for you to like explain because I was worried. I was worried you were going to shatter my whole thought of your uh, <laughs> idyllic childhood. Nah. Like your parents yelled at each other. Well, I, I mean, they yelled at, you, at each other sometimes, but you know, <laughs> not in my what? mind. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't very often but you know uh people people argue it that is normal but yeah um yeah it was more you were referring to parents okay. making kids like go to church or go to school oh my god they made me go to school i got it how dare they how dare they yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well i'm glad you clarified because yes, i was yes. concerned so uh well parents are human beings too but humans should be kind to other human beings right right um anyway he also that's why i said that because i was like wait a minute okay anyway so he blamed other people for trying to control him quote a lot of people in my life were trying to control me you know all of my girlfriends would always want me to change my mom wanted me to change my dad wanted me to change all my friends thought i should change unquote so maybe it's you <laughs> Maybe, but, uh, you know, if he wasn't a serial killer, I would say, you know, there is something to being a black or brown body in the United States and people policing your you, you all the time. Yeah, yeah. You're talking too loud. You can't be here. What are you doing here? Right, um, yeah. Following you in the store. So, um, but that he is a bad person. So yeah. I am going to say I do think it was him in this case. Yeah. And I think a lot of it probably had to do with uh, him doing drugs and drinking alcohol and probably everybody was trying to get him to stop it. Yes, <laughs> you know? please yeah. stop it or go over there and do that away from, from me. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But in any case, the Condros had tried to raise their son with a strict middle class upbringing, but he kept getting into trouble. His father had to bail him out of jail several times and paid for two stints in drug rehabilitation facilities. Mm. When he reached his early teens, Condro was accused of molesting girls and young women several times. Oh my. But most of the charges were not prosecuted. So he's a troubled young man. Yeah. He's getting people, are, he's has access. The, he's lucky that he was in you know adopted by white people and middle class because he had access to help um yeah. but uh but it didn't well, help it doesn't sound like it took no. as an adult Condro worked as a mill worker a house painter and a laborer but he frequently did not work at all and had figured out ways to sponge off his friends ex-wives and girlfriends for extended periods of time a mooch is yes. what i would yeah. say would it was a mooch it. for sure yeah Later asked why he chose children as his victims, he said, quote, I think it's just the convenience of the situation. You know, children are very trusting and stuff. And I was very close to their family members. And, you know, I just played on their trust, unquote. That's horrifying. Yeah. Um, per John Douglas, quote, my instinct was that his feelings of personal inadequacy drew him to victims with whom he could feel equal. We are all familiar with milder versions of this, such as the guy who graduates or doesn't from high school, but keeps coming back to hang around with younger kids who will look up to him when his peers don't or won't. But the strategic reason for targeting young girls was simply that they were easy prey, unquote. Yeah. Y'all, it ain't safe out there. It ain't <laughs> safe. It is not safe for any of us. So, uh, 
now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. Chyla M. Silvernails was born on October 13, 1973 in Kalama, Callitz County, Washington. The second grader was the youngest daughter of Don, a truck driver, and Blanche Silvernails. Chyla's mother reminisced, quote, she's a happy-go-lucky little girl. She's just plain full of life, unquote. She was last seen by her mother on April 20th, 1982, while on her way to board the school bus. Chyla did not arrive on the return bus, and her sister found her new lunch pail at the bus stop. The family grew concerned, and the police were informed. The police dispersed teams to conduct a search. The following morning, a search dog found her partially clothed body at the bottom of a ravine that was located about three miles from her home. There were no stab or bullet wounds on her body. No arrests were made. Condro had dated Chyla's mother. Rima Danette Traxler was born on November 9th, 1970 in Longview, Cowlitz County, Washington. In third grade at St. Helens Elementary School, she loved going to school and her art class especially. Rima was last seen by a neighbor living two blocks from her home on the afternoon of May 15, 1985. After showing the neighbor her art project, the eight-year-old proceeded toward her house but never got home. Condra was an old high school buddy of Rima's stepfather, Rusty Traxler, and a good friend of the family. On the morning of her disappearance, Condra was having a beer with Rusty. When her mother, Danelle Kine, began to worry about her daughter not coming home, she walked to the school to retrace Rima's route, but saw nothing. Danelle went to Condra's house to ask if he'd seen Rima, and even used Condra's phone to call the police. Around the time of the disappearance, Condra was seen in the vicinity driving to a convenience store to buy beer and cigarettes. He was questioned by the police, but there was nothing to tie him to the missing child. The police, volunteers, and her family mounted a massive search, but never found her. And I believe Condra also participated in the search. Yeah, uh, he did. Fucked up. Yep. The case remained open and unsolved, although Rusty was the main suspect, which was fine with Condro, even though Rusty was supposed to be a good friend, because that meant that police were not looking at him. Ugh. Son of Satan. Here he goes again. In September 1991, while staying with a friend, Condro sexually molested two girls, a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, as they slept on the living room floor. At a friend's house. Wow. Yeah. Kara Patricia Rudd was born on March 26, 1984 in Longview and was a student of Monticello Middle School. She was last seen by her friend Yolanda Patterson on the morning of November 21, 1996. At the time, Kara and Yolanda were living in the same house together, along with Kara's mom, Janet LaPrey, and her live-in fiancé, Larry Butch Holden. Yolanda was Larry's niece, and he had guardianship of her and her brother, Nicholas. Condro was a close friend of Kara's mom and often stayed with the family. He'd been staying with the family until about a month before Kara's disappearance. By this time, the 37-year-old Condro was the father of six children by three different women, and he didn't regularly support any of them. Oh my goodness, that is a lot of kids uh, to not support, support, especially. Yeah. Uh, Kara called him Uncle Joe, but when his drinking and drug use became intolerable, Janet and Larry threw him out. Janet later said Joe used to come on to her when Larry was away. Ew. So it's a sick guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
On the morning of November 21st, Larry had dropped both girls off at school at 7.15. The school wasn't open yet, so they were hanging out in the yard. Around 7.30, Condro pulled up to the sidewalk in the school parking lot in his gold 1982 Pontiac Firebird. According to Yolanda, she went over and leaned in the window on the driver's side while Kara got into the car on the passenger side. Shortly afterwards, Condro rolled up his window, apparently so that he and Kara could have a private conversation. When Kara got out of his car, she told Yolanda she had asked Joe if he would take her out to Farmer Pete's place in nearby Willow Grove so she could play with the piglets. Yolanda and Kara had skipped school a few weeks earlier to go with Condro to an abandoned house near Willow Willow Grove, where there were a lot of cats and kittens. On that day, he had told the girls to walk away from the school so he could pick them up where no teachers could see, which they did. Kara asked Yolanda if she wanted to come along to see the piglets, but Yolanda said she was afraid of getting in trouble, so she declined. Condro left in his car without the girls. The last time Yolanda saw Kara, she was walking east on Hemlock Street, presumably to meet up with Condro. Yolanda then went into the school building. So now we are going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Uh, what the what, Beth? <laughs> when Kara did not come home, Janet immediately thought of Condro and even accused mm. him of abducting her daughter. A conversation mm. that was recorded by a malfunctioning answering machine in Janet's home. For some reason, it kept running even after she picked up the phone. Ooh, lucky, though. Right? Yeah. Law enforcement also focused on Condro. He was questioned by police and admitted he had seen Kara and Yolanda outside the school that morning and had pulled up to talk to them. Why is a grown man with no children going to a school? For bad reasons. Yeah, not. it's not good. No. Uh, he agreed that Kara had asked him to take her to the pig farm, but said he had refused, told her to get out of the car, and warned them to go back to school. Condro said he then stopped for a cup of coffee at the Hemlock store, then drove out to Marthaler's log yard to look for a job. The office was locked, and though he did see men working out in the yard, the ground was muddy and he didn't want to get out of his car, which became stuck in the mud. How did he know the office was locked if he didn't get out of his car? Okay, OG of true crime. Hello, hello. Another one. Yeah. Oh, also this one. Shut up, Condro. <laughs> um, but detectives later questioned two clerks who worked at the Hemlock store and knew Condro, and they said that they had not seen him at the time. He said he'd been in there, and an employee at Marthaler's said he would have seen anyone who came in the single entrance to the log yard, and Joe Condro's gold firebird had not been there. Hmm. Detectives interviewed Julie West, Condro's ex-wife, with whom he had two children and with whom he was currently living. Julie told them Condro was subject to violent rages and had assaulted her on a number of occasions. This included tearing her clothes off one time when she was pregnant with their child, ripping a sink off the bathroom wall. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And threatening to rip the phone out of the wall when she said she was going to call the police. She finally obtained a restraining order against him, which led to their divorce. That didn't end their relationship, though. Julie said that around 1145 on the morning of Kara's disappearance, Condro came over to her house to take their son to school. 
When Condro returned about 12.30, he asked her to take a ride with him to apply for a job at Industrial Paints. As she got into the car, she noticed a hairbrush under the seat. She described it as black with white bristles that were black at the tips. Some of the bristles were missing and the others appeared chewed up. Later in the day, she spoke with Janet and asked if Kara had a hairbrush like that. Janet said Kara always carried a hairbrush and that she thought it sounded like hers. As they passed Marthaler's log yard, Condro commented that he had stopped there earlier to ask about employment, but didn't get out of the car because of the mud. West noted that there wasn't any mud on the tires, fenders, or body of the Firebird. And to that I say, Shut up! So Ray... Ray Hartley, the lead detective on this case, learned that Condro had been accused of molesting a friend's daughter two years prior, but had been acquitted. And also that he had been fired from a job in a lumber mill for doing doing drugs in the parking lot. (laughs) Around the same time, he had trashed and wrecked the inside of the home of a woman he was dating. Another woman, Crystal Smith, who had dated Condro the previous spring, told detectives that he got mean when he drank and even referred to himself as Diablo at such times. So, Diablo, Satan. AKA did stick. It it worked. Look at that. Look at God. Okay. (laughs) She recalled a barbecue in the summer when he had too much to drink and started slapping around another girlfriend. Wow. Um, Elizabeth Ann Ford, another woman with whom Condro had lived on and off for about seven years and with whom he had a child, said he had gotten into a fight with her brother and broke his jaw and three ribs. Wow. Golly. I've never understood people who resort to physical violence. Yeah. Just walk away. Especially this much. (laughs) Yeah. He had also torn a wood stove away from the wall. Wow. And thrown it. Thrown it. I repeat that. Thrown it at her brother in an uncontrollable rage. Wow. Oh my God. That's terrifying. She ultimately got the sheriff's office to tell him to leave her alone. Wow. Wow. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's awful. Yeah. Condro's current girlfriend, Peggy Diltz, who had a daughter with him, did not want to cooperate with the police and forbade them from speaking to their daughter, Courtney, alone. Peggy Diltz finally had to speak to police at the station, and when she did, she revealed that Condro had asked to borrow shovels from her garage. When police checked the garage, two shovels were missing. Uh Uh-oh. Sus. That's sus. Yeah. So when the police were finally able to interview Condro's daughter, Courtney, she told them that her father could be, quote, kind of mean, unquote, and that until he moved in about two months before, she hadn't really known him well, and she called him Joe rather than dad. He had slapped her on occasion and thrown her around for talking back to him. He had also hit her sister, April, in the head with his open hand a couple of weeks before. Condro was cooperative with the police when he was asked to come down to the station house for questioning. At the conclusion of the interview, Condro was warned not to have any contact with his ex-wife, Julie West, not to go over to her house, not to speak to her in person, or attempt to contact her by telephone. And Condro said he understood. Well, guess what this motherfucker did immediately after leaving the police station. (laughs) The next day, Julie called the police detective and told him Condro had called her, asking what the police had said to her and what she had told them. Julie told the detective that she was very afraid of Condro because of his violent nature, saying, quote, I don't know what he will do when he finds out I talked to the police, unquote. 
That afternoon, the detective arrested Condro for tampering with a witness. In the interview room, Condro denied having spoken to Julie Wester, even knowing she was a witness. Okay. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> When the detective asked Condro why he would not tell him the truth, Condro said he needed a lawyer. The conversation was stopped and he was booked into county jail. In the meantime, investigators were still trying to find Kara's body. They took dog teams and covered places that witnesses and informants had told them Condro liked to frequent. One location was a vacant, decaying house on Mount Solo, west of Longview, where kids liked to play. In December 1996, less than a month after Kara's disappearance, Condro was arraigned in Washington State Superior Court in Clark County for the molestation of the 7-year-old girl and the rape of the 10-year-old girl, both in September 1991. On January 4th, 1997, less than two months after Kara's disappearance, police were searching a remote hillside up Mount Solo Road from the vacant house. They came upon a ravine and spotted an old, abandoned, and rusted Volkswagen with no tires or wheels. Inside the car, police searchers found Kara's black Reebok t-shirt and a bra and then discovered the body of a female underneath the passenger side with her head towards the rear and her feet beneath the passenger side door. Poor baby. Yeah. There was an impact mark on a tree directly opposite the top of the driver's side doorframe and corresponding dent on the car. This suggested the vehicle might have been tipped onto the driver's side against the tree so the body could be placed underneath and then dropped onto the victim. Mm. Wow. Mm. Dental records confirmed the body as Kara's. DNA evidence on Kara's body and clothing tied Condro directly to the murder. On January 27, 1997, Condro was charged with aggravated murder in the first degree in the death of Kara Rudd. Finally got him. Yep. So now we're going to get into the trial. So in May 1997, Condro stood trial in Clark County on the molestation and rape charges. He was convicted by the jury on both counts in less than two and a half hours of deliberation and sentenced to a combined 302 months. That's it for uh, about 25 years. That um, was for the... the- the um, molestation and rape okay. of the okay. two girls, seven, seven and ten-year-old girls. Okay. Prosecutors then prepared a death penalty case against Condro with his murder trial scheduled to begin in July 1998. By this time, police believed that Condro had also killed Rima Trexler. And after consulting with the victim's families, the prosecutor offered Condro a deal. Admit to both the murders of Kara Rudd and Rima Traxler and tell investigators where he disposed of Rima's body and they would not seek a death sentence. So Condro pleaded guilty to murdering both Rima and Kara. He later told John Douglas, quote, you know, if it was my kid that was killed, I would want the guy on death row. I would never ask the prosecutor to make a deal with him. That would be the last thing on my mind. Kill him, you know, get him out of this planet, unquote. Manipulating people until the end, you know, Uh, he's trying to make the victim's families uh, feel bad. What a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's disgusting. I exactly. I have so much hatred in my heart for For this this individual. Yeah, yeah. So he admitted that he picked Rima up using the family password Unicorn. 
Yeah. Joe Condro oh, was such a good friend of Rima's parents that her stepdad, Rusty, had told him the password. Oh. He claimed that when he saw her walking home, quote, I pulled over and thought if she gets in my car, I'm going to take her out to the woods. And she just jumped in, unquote. And uh, there's more subtle manipulation there. He's acting like he had no agency. She got into the yeah, car. Like, so it was hit. It was her fault. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was her right. fault for getting into the car. Right. And also, I, I we've, you know, we do how not to get married. And one of the tips we've done in the years past was come up with a family password. Yeah. Which I think is still a good tip. Yeah. But, just um, don't share it with anybody. Yes. This is terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Don't share it with anybody. Anybody. So, yeah. Yes. So Condro told Rima he'd been sent by her parents to take her swimming and that they would join her later. He then took her to a desolate swimming hole in Germany Creek, west of town, where he raped her, then strangled her and bludgeoned the child to death before burying her behind a tree. Condro also told investigators that the day that he had taken Kara and Yolanda out to the abandoned house to see the cats and kittens, it was a test run. He said, quote, I was planning on raping and killing them both, unquote. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he had decided on the dump site for the body in advance. He said that he beat Kara severely before raping and strangling her. Then he went to Peggy Dilt's house, showered and scrubbed himself clean, washed his clothes and threw away his shoes. On February 26, 1999, Condro entered his plea of guilty to first-degree felony murder in the death of Kara Rudd and second-degree intentional murder in the death of Rima Traxler. On March 5th, he was sentenced to 55 years, which would begin after he served the minimum term on the rape and molestation convictions that had been imposed a year and a half earlier. Sounds appropriate. Yeah. Um, so the police also suspected Joseph of the murder of Chyla Silvernails since the M.O. was the same and he knew her mother but police could not get a confession out of him. It is thought that he was afraid that his plea deal might be revoked and he might again face the death penalty if he confessed. At the sentencing, Rima's mother, Donnell Kine, said, quote, I have been waiting 14 years for answers, yet to finally have answers does not ease the pain. The fact that he deceived me for so long, all the while knowing the truth, leaves me with an inability to comprehend the monster that lies beneath the shell of a human being who sits here today, unquote. Mm. Police believe that Condro may have had upwards of 70 molestation victims and possibly other homicides. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.
So now we are going to get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. Condro was housed in Washington State Penitentiary at Walla Walla. He never showed remorse for his crimes and said that he might kill again if he ever got out of jail. Okay. In a 1999 prison interview, Condro said, quote, If you hook up a meter to my emotions, they're flatline. I don't know where my emotions are. I couldn't give a damn what anybody thinks, unquote. While hmm. imprisoned, he was interviewed by John Douglas for an MSNBC show called Mindhunter. Not the Netflix what? TV show Mindhunter. Oh. But the Netflix show is based on John Douglas from his book Mindhunter. Is that confusing enough? <laughs> I, I Wait, so is there an interview on Netflix? No. So the TV show on Netflix, Mindhunter on Netflix, is uh, fictionalized, but it's based on, on him. He's the character of... Uh, Who's the, the guy who played King, the King yes, from King, Hamilton. King yeah, yeah, the cute guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they say the price of my love's not a price you're willing to pay. <laughs> yeah, so his character is based on John Douglas. Uh-huh. Um, but I still, I'm not clear. Is there an interview on the internet? Yes, there is an interview on the internet. Oh, so okay. I didn't they see tried, it. They tried, oh, they wanted to make a show oh. called Mindhunter, where John Douglas would go around interviewing serial killers. And I'll, I'll get into oh, a little they bit fictionalizing more. fictionalizing it. Not okay. without fictionalizing oh. it. And I'll tell you a little bit more oh. of that in my takeaways. Okay. Thank you. Can't wait. Um, Anyway, Condro died in the Washington State Penitentiary on May 3rd, 2012. Good riddance, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. Now, the death certificate listed the specific reason as end-stage liver disease due to hepatitis C, which makes a lot of sense because he was drinking a lot and doing a doing, lot of drugs. Doing drugs. For a long time. Yeah. Doing drugs. Yeah. Uh, oh, that was off. <laughs> um, forget I did that. So anyway, he was 52 years old at the time. Um, I hope it was painful and miserable. Yeah. Um, he was buried in the Pinery Indian Cemetery in Baraga County, Michigan. In the local newspaper, Kara's mom, Janet, was quoted as calling the death a great weight lifted off. Yeah. Detectives are re-examining Chyla's case using new DNA technology, which can test more materials today than in previous years. Chyla's parents are no longer alive. Her Aww. sister, Kimberly Williams, who was 18 when her little sister was discovered and murdered, said she continuously relives the loss. Chief Criminal Deputy Troy Brightbull said there is no strong evidence linking Condro to the case and the search for the killer continues today. Quote, we're not giving up on this case. We're 40 years in. A lot of people have moved on. But for us, this was an eight-year-old girl who deserves justice, unquote. Although Condro told investigators where he supposedly buried Rima's body, her remains have never been found. Whoa. Well, now it's time to get into our takeaways and what we think made him stab. Snap, not stab, snap. What do you got, Beth? <laughs> According to John Douglas, an offender who kills someone close to him is usually motivated by a great sense of perceived betrayal, revenge, or anger, often fueled mm. by jealousy and outrage. But that wasn't the case with Rima Traxler. It was just something he wanted to do. He chose oh. victims who were children of people he knew because they trusted him, and it was easier. Yeah. That is so sick. Yeah. And nasty. It is. Ugh. Calculated. Yeah. yeah. Cold blooded. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Ice. Yes. Ice cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
John Douglas also said, quote, what was pervasive throughout the interview was the sense I got that he really didn't think he was responsible for any of this, unquote. And I got that feeling, too. And I yeah. think you did mm-hmm. as well. Like the manipulation techniques. Yeah, I did. Blame other people for everything. Everyone was too controlling. Yeah. Victims yeah. Just fell into his lap. And if he uh-huh. was the victim's parent, he would want the perp to get the death penalty. Fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. And my brother uses these same techniques, this same manipulation techniques. And I immediately feel enraged when someone does that. Like my blood just boils. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really unfair. You know, if you're really, your manipulation, um, unless you're talking about a chiropractor, it's not good to have other people do things for your gain and convince them that it's something they want or or they should do. Or blame them for things that you do. You know, right. You're right. doing bad it, things, but you're you're making it sound like it's everybody else's fault. And right. it's, it makes yeah. me sick. I hate it. Yeah, absolutely. When John Douglas asked Condro if he had any regrets, he said he regrets not being a better father to his children, but nothing else. So he did not regret these murders at all. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't regret anything. Wow. OK, hang on a second. Shut up. <laughs> Not you, Condro. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so Condro was adopted at the age of 18 months. So I do wonder what happened during the time he was given up at birth and adopted at the age of 18 yeah. months. I wonder mm-hmm. if he was neglected. You know, we learned a yeah. lot from the children who were adopted out of Romanian institutions in the 90s. Right. They were right. Se- severely deprived, rarely held. Yeah just left in yeah cribs. not touched or anything yeah. yeah they were just left in cribs to cry most of the time mm-hmm. many of mm-hmm. them later had severe behavioral problems some of them were later diagnosed as psychopathic i do uh-huh. think condro was a psychopath he didn't uh-huh. seem to have any empathy i mean uh to do this to the to kids that you know i mean to do it that to you kids, know period, but to kids that you know that is yes. something else and he yeah. himself said he had few emotions. So yeah. I do think well, he was a psychopath. Yeah. I think the psychopath's shoe fits. Can we get a size <laughs> 10 and a half, please? So when John Douglas interviewed Condro, as, we, as I was telling you, it was for an MSNBC show called Mindhunter. The show okay. never went anywhere. Douglas said, quote, when the executives at MSNBC saw the interview tapes, they were much more impressed with Joseph Condro's performance than with mine. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It means to be confrontational, to get in his face and register outrage over the horrible things that he'd done, unquote. So basically, they wanted him to be Piers Morgan, which would have counterproductive to what absolutely we don't get any information when Piers Morgan interviews anybody right because he's not a real anything a journalist (laughs) interviewer good person take your pick yeah none of those things yeah none of those things (laughs) so professional like (laughs) come on I'm glad you I'm glad you you pointed that out. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that we in the Fruities would have loved to see, to see that. Yeah, I actually did yeah. find a clip on uh, oh, I think did. it was on YouTube, so um I'll put that in the show notes. Yep. Okay, right on, right on. Well, uh I'm glad you brought up FBI Bay John Douglas. 
Um, I uh, listened to an interview um, where he was talking about this case uh-huh. and hurting his friend's kids. And he said something like, they're easier because they won't fight back. They won't fight you because they know you. Right. And I just was so like disgusted yeah. by that um that fact and there are like hundreds of thousands of kids who are abducted and killed every year in the United States it's like 300,000 kids or something crazy like that and most of them are black and brown by the way but that aside most of them are also harmed by people they know and family members yeah and so we have this idea the satanic panic whatever you want to call it that it's yeah stranger danger that it's out there Right. Right. And it oftentimes, most of the time is not. And so we have to really examine sort of who we are as a society to allow that many children to be harmed um, at such a high number. And just us as as people like it's so it's so sick. We really don't give I just I don't know what to say about that. But I it it it, it, uh, this case made me think about that. I was also. It's extremely disturbing. And I hate it here. And I would like to be excused. I ask every week and it never happens. Um, and the, I mentioned the password part, which is terrifying because it, it's not a foolproof tip. But really, if you have a family password, which I'll get to in the um, how not to get murdered part, don't share it with anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if, if you have to share it with somebody, like somebody has to go pick up your kid from school mm-hmm. for some reason or another, uh, yeah. then, then Con- change it. <laughs> consider change changing it, it strongly. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then also I w- thought it was interesting because we interviewed a serial killer at one point right. and he expressed the same kind of thing. The victims, the victims made me do it. The, yeah. the victims chose him. It's their fault that right. they ended up in, Ugh, in so my clutches. Yeah. Um, and that is extra, extra evil, cold-blooded and awful. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Hard agree on your thoughts. Um, I think it can, I can't, can't be unsaid about the fact that he was adopted and that 18 months in between. And I also, um, uh, we don't know what kind of trauma he may have experienced, but um, transracial adoption is also a traumatic, traumatic um, yeah. experience. Can right. be if the parents who have this black or brown or LGBTQ child and don't love and support him or her or them in the ways that they need or right. that they would have ga- gotten if they were still within their own community. Um, and so uh, I wanted to mention that he was betrayed by the adults and systems that should have protected him when he was a baby. Um, and yeah. they didn't. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also wanted to comment on the stolen history and the stolen land and the broken treaties and the murderous white people and the subjugation of indigenous people. Aren't those crimes? Yes, <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> Does anybody go to jail for those? No, I don't know. No. Anyway, <laughs> now it's time to talk about how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> 
This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So these, some of these might be oldies but goodies, but I found an article um, for safety kit tips for kids. Um, and as I mentioned, most kids who are murdered and kidnapped are victims of family members and people they know. Um, I found this on parentsstock.com, a safety guide. Just a couple things we'll link up to the uh, article in the show notes. But teach kids to always stay with you in public places. Never wander off. Um, If they do get separated, tell them. I tell my kids to find a mom with kids. Find Mm -hmm. a black mom with kids. (laughs) (laughs) Or somebody with kids. Yeah. Or next resort is a security guard. Next resort is a police officer. And stay with them until you're reunited. Help them memorize their phone number and address. Um, So if somebody can help them if they're asked how do how can I get you back to your people yeah um keep recent photos of your kids on your on your phone or on hand in case you need them for identification purposes explain what constitutes appropriate touching and that no is a word they can use anytime they feel uncomfortable unsafe or scared even with you as yeah. their parent yeah um cool it on the social media posts of your kids because sickos are out there on the internet looking and watching and all it takes is one predator to say oh i saw you and your mom um love ice cream i'm going to go get you some ice cream you want some yeah you know that's all it takes is them to get a little bit of information about you and your family on the internet um and trust your gut and teach your children that they can trust their guts too that's something i wish somebody would have told me when i was a child that that i could trust my gut too right um so those are just some of the tips on, on in the article um but that's all i got Good ones. Okay. Well, oh my God, my favorite part of the show. Shout out time where we shout out any content by BIPOC people, LGBTQ people, anybody else marginalized or any true crime goodies. Now, I know we're past spooky season, but I don't give a fuck. I watched Nope. It's finally streaming. It's a Jordan Peele horror movie. And I have found his film. I just so enjoyable. We did a bonus episode on a uh, Jordan Peele movie, Us, yeah. a while back. Yeah. Um, and he does it again. Uh, also, The Barbarian Girl. Have you watched <gasps> Yes. This? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a ride. What a ride. We had a time last night watching Barbarian. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I just can't recommend it. Those are two horror movies um, starring black people, people of color. Right um, on. So, and uh, there you go. What All do you right. got? Well, I found this on the Cowlitz Indian Tribe website. There, uh, I, I didn't know about this, so I thought it was pretty exciting. The Cowlitz Indian Tribe is featured in a new Netflix animated series called Spirit Rangers. Oh, Joey Clift! Yes, yeah. I know. He's been working on it for a long time. Yeah. I'm so, so it's out. Yes, it's out. Oh, it, I'm so excited. It was released on Indigenous Peoples Day, Monday, October 10th. So Fuck it's on Netflix. Yes. It's called Spirit Rangers. It's for kids, but yeah. um, check it out. Oh my god, I'm so excited! I I I, I follow Joey Clift. Oh, um, cool! And uh, he, I I just think he's so funny. He's so uh, he's. And, and, such a good writer. He's in the Cowlitz Indian tribe. Oh, 
I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I did not know that. And I just am (laughs) really excited. I think that's so great. So just to recap. Oh, Oh, did you have one more? Okay, sorry. I just wanted to tell y'all that the documentary that I mentioned on a previous episode about Jerry Falwell Jr. is out. It's on Hulu Uh and it's called God Forbid, the sex scandal that brought down on Dynasty. And it is nuts. (laughs) Okay. I don't know who Jerry Falwell is, but I saw the trailer and I was like, this looks important and it like something I need to watch. Yeah. And there's a, a big section in the middle about how racist Jerry Falwell Sr. was. Uh, there you go. There you go. I could have told you that. He's got three names, Jerry Falwell and, and senior. senior. So enough said. Enough said. I already know. I have so, the yeah. evidence right there in You're- the name. So... <laughs> So um, just to recap, those are Nope streaming um, is a streaming movie wherever you purchase streaming movies. Um, Barbarian. I saw it on Prime. A Netflix animated series called Spirit Rangers. <laughs> and uh, the last one is God Forbid, the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty that <laughs> is nuts on Hulu. <laughs> Oh, friend, not again. But we're here. We're here. Oh, my God. Well, (laughs) until next time, Beth, where can the people find us? Our website is FruitLoopsPod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. Now, this is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time... Look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee?
Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us.